0: Nice cast. Welcome to the No or Not podcast. I'm your host, Ken Delbridge, and in our current season called Crafted By, we're focusing on the artists and craftspeople in Singapore. In a country that loves analysing its economic progress through detailed statistics, the nation's culture is enriched by those who create the arts that nourish the soul. In this episode, we meet one of Singapore's pioneer sculptors. Imagine yourself on the bank of the Singapore River with a Fullerton Hotel behind you. It's a hot morning and a mix of tourists and bankers are walking past. It's not really a river anymore because once the marina barrage was completed at the river's mouth, it became a freshwater marina reservoir. From the time that Sir Stamford Raffles first arrived on the island, the change from a colonial settlement to a finance, shipping and aviation hub has been breathtaking. In the next hundred years it will no doubt change dramatically again. And it's interesting to wonder what will still be here. There's almost no chance that anyone listening to this podcast right now will be around to confirm it, but there's an artwork here that I think will definitely still be here in 2119. I'm very pleased that the boys
1: jumping off the bank of the river mm-hmm. has become such a favourite. And uh, I, I'm even sometimes a bit presumptuous. I say, no, have you seen that? No, not the Merlion. This is more famous than the Merlion.
0: <laughs> it's called First Generation, a bronze sculpture showing five young boys in the buff jumping into the Singapore River. It's one of Singapore's most beloved sculptures, and it was created by a Singaporean artist, Pious Chong Fa Chong. So how
1: I got onto it, you know, it was the Ministry of Culture then. They wanted to, to start a bit of a history of the Singapore River and then doing it with, say, actual tableaus or sculptures like what you see now. So mine was the first. When I was in school, I was studying at St. Joseph's, down at Bras and we used to hang out after school. Obviously, school then was really nice, nothing to do anyway, so we hung around. A lot of my friends were living in that part of Singapore. So I came from a you know, well-to-do family, the son of a doctor and all the rest, being chauffeured to school and all the rest, so I, I, I never really knew what it was among my friends. High Street was the main shopping area. Mm. Metro was there along High Street, North Bridge Road and all the rest. So we would walk and roam the streets. So when we came around to Raffles Square, then Robinsons, John Littles and everything, everything was there. There were mainly Malay boys and they would be perched up on the Anderson Bridge, uh, ready to jump on when they saw tourists coming and they would be delighted to jump off and the the tourists would snap shots of them jumping off. So nudity was not something that I I even realised that, you know, hey, all the kids are nude. So I never thought it was anything. And nobody questioned the whole idea of, you know, boys in the nude. And I asked people around, and uh, this friend of mine said oh no no you know the boys they, 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 they don't want to let their parents know they play in the river then they get if they get they the spanking so they would take their clothes off jump in the river get all wet and then go back oh I'm all dry no. what have you been doing oh nothing you just so that <laughs> apparently was it so it was quite fun so the whole idea that kids were kids playing in a van very stinky dirty waters the Singapore river Until Kwan used it, clean it up. So that was the history. That was my inspiration. I actually saw them and I thought, hey, let's just do it. And the whole design was mine. And what is even more interesting when I made the proposal, and it was different, I had, in fact, one of the boys floating in the river. So it was designed as a boy floating and it could be done and then anchored because it wasn't very deep. There's a lot of mud. Then they said, no, you can't do that because there's river traffic, You know, all these tongkangs going in and out, you know, so it would obstruct. So I said, all right, we'll leave it out. But I still have the maquette which I, I model and so it is a prototype. So when I tell people, you know, if you want to buy my works, you better buy it quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be soon dead and gone and then they will appreciate the value.
0: It was created as part of a series of sculptures by multiple sculptors in the Open Air Interpretive Centre project by the Singapore Tourism Board. Chong's sculpture was the first to be unveiled on New Year's Eve of the year 2000. I told him about my belief that his sculpture will still be here in a 100 years' time and wondered how he felt about this work becoming a permanent installation in his home country.
1: To me, you know, it, it is not like most art pieces they would have a life of their own. Mm. And the works that make it, things that are remembered, become iconic. I have always maintained that uh, anyone who has the gall and then the presumption to do any sort of a public work must also be open to public criticism. Mm. So if it is rubbish, accept it. What the heck is this now? So, well, it's fair game to me. I did enjoy it because I think when I got... The commission to do it. I happened to know one of the professors at Silapakon University and he said, oh, you can come, you know, I'll get my students to help you. So I happened to get one guy who was graduating then, a very good guy. He's still uh, practicing his art and then he helped me. So with one artist and myself, we modeled the whole thing. We worked at the university and then we got the guys from the foundry. This was the Asia Fine Arts Foundry. It's still existing, I still do works there. And they came down to the university's premises and made moulds of the original clay form. And then off they went brought the moulds back to the foundry and they were cast in sections and then welded back together. So this is a traditional lost wax method of casting and making bronze sculptures. So yes, I, I think you probably continue and um, be iconic to the extent that this would reflect the origins of what Singapore was, the Malay village by the Singapore River. My original title for the piece when I did it, Kampong Kids. So okay. then when they, they were faced with this title, they said, oh, Mr Chong, we cannot use the word Kampong because uh, Kuan Yu is going to open this uh, at the Fullerton and etc. unveil. And then they chose it first generation. Well, I said, okay, uh, first generation. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so then it stuck for the generation. But I will always call it kampong boys or kampong kids, and people now call it jumping boys.
0: Best known for working with wood, stone and bronze, he has also made significant pieces in jade and other materials. When he conceptualises a piece, how does he decide which to choose?
1: The idea would evolve... When I handle the material, I would have an idea, obviously, and then I would choose the material which I'm familiar with. In this case, wood, stone, and bronze. I don't handle glass, although I like it. But essentially, it is direct carving, direct hands-on, whether it's modelling or sculpting, which is the two different approaches, one taking away and one adding on. I started off with wood because this is where I wanted to mention my background is in teaching, teaching of art. I also joined the Religious Brothers, the De La Salle Brothers, when I was in school, and I just thought, yeah, whether or not I actually had a vocation. Uh, so I joined the Brothers, and the, the, the novitiate was in Penang, in Peloticus, so off I went when I was only in Form 4, I was 14 years old, and left the house, and And for the next seven years, I was in the House of Formation, and I finally was invested with the robes of the brother, teaching brother, and I took vows for one year, and then taught out in community in Tlok Ensen, which is now Tlok Intan, for one year, and then I decided to leave. Obviously, the standing sort of joke among the people who have opted to try a life with the religious congregation, when you left, the reason was quite obvious la <laughs> femme
0: <laughs>
1: Well a lot of us you not know, being young as we were never knew what it was to be a celibate you mm. know to say yeah or oh, no I will take the vow of celibacy and you no know, it is a calling it is a true vocation and it is a life that you want to make it. So a lot of us come to realize that no this is not what I, I can do or I want to do so right. uh, but I was already a qualified teacher then. And then after leaving the brotherhood, and I went to the university at Bukit and then met my wife there, and then continued teaching. Uh, So my start was actually with Brother Joseph McNally. So he was, in fact, a lot of my inspiration. And uh, he was the principal then of St. Patrick's. I was teaching at St. Patrick's. And he said, why don't you, you try using a lot of the angshana trees that he cut down in, in the school grounds? So I said, all right. I never really handled wood myself, so I had to be three steps ahead of the students. <laughs> so I learned how to handle wood. And, and then I found it was fascinating. So a lot of my early pieces were in wood. Later on, I uh, found myself getting into stone. Uh, which was also as a result of a commission. My first stone work was for the MRT. It was at Somerset. I think the piece ended up somewhere in the sports council in Toapayo. Me and Saipo, Han Saipo, she was commissioned to do one for Orchard Road and she also did a piece in stone. So we were lucky to meet a, a lady whose husband was working at the US council and she has been going to Pietra Santa in Italy in Lucca. And she said, ah, oh, you, you, you can do it. You just go carve marble. I've never carved marble before. So this is how I approach things. Have you carved marble? Can you do it? Can. So that's it. So off I went, never having done it. So got into it and found, yeah, not too difficult. So I carved the whole piece myself. And then the next piece that I undertook was the one still at the Toapayo Centrum, the mama's precious one, also in a white oh. Carrara marble. is still there. So that's, again, how I approach, in a way, problem solving. There's a thing to be done, get into it, and then find out how to do it. <laughs> bronze was the same. The boys, jumping boys, was not my first bronze. While I was working there, I did a uh, work which I showed at the uh, Frankfurt World Fair in the year 2000 in Frankfurt, Hanover. Uh-huh. So it was uh, my bronze work of two coolies. I still have it in my studio with Emily. It was done by me. I just modelled it and, and then we cast it. You know, most of the work you know, is just the initial modelling and then everything was done by the foundry. Now I'm on to marble and granite but also jade because I found the BC, British Columbia Canadian jade. So I met up with this uh, lady who works jade and I learned from her. And So now I go back to the north of Thailand at the town called Maasai
0: mm-hmm. and
1: do my jade there. The owner of the jade factory there, they go over once a year to Vancouver to auction for the jade. So a lot of the jade in China also comes from Canada. The Admiral Buddha in Bangkok, Mm -hmm. that is jade. It's not admiral at all. The green is, uh, is BC jade, which is nephrite. So jade is a generic word for two kinds of stone, nephrite and jadeite. So the true jadeite, molecularly, the structure is slightly different. The chemical composition is similar a lot of silicates, a lot of magnesium, etc. The physical composition of jadeite is more granular and nephrite jade is more fibrous. So of the two, the fibrous structure of uh, nephrite is stronger, a stronger stone. So both are very, very challenging. You can't carve it as you could, say, with softer marbles. So it's more a case of cutting, fret cutting, breaking away and uh, abrading and grinding it down. So progressively, until you get a a very fine, jewellery-quality finish. I find it has its fascination just working that stone.
0: In 2014, his life's work was recognised with a cultural medallion. The cultural medallion is a Singapore cultural award conferred to those who have achieved artistic excellence in dance, theatre, literature, music, photography, art... And film. It is widely recognised as Singapore's Pinnacle Arts Award and is conferred by the President of Singapore.
1: There's no way, obviously, at the end of, the a person's career that you have achieved the end degree or whatever it is that you have done. I have to admit that uh, it's very gratifying to know that, you know, what I've done and uh, people have recognised it and they are giving me a, a pat on the shoulder to this mm. extent say, yeah, good, good stuff you've done. In most cases, it is an affirmation, I, I understand that. And it only adds to my, my resolve and determination to continue. Because, like I said, one day I'm going to get a real job. So <laughs> at the such time, you know, this is what I want to do. And by now I know this is probably all that I can do. <laughs> and then so I will continue and, and find myself actually and the satisfaction that comes along with doing what I enjoy doing.
0: His body of work has been described as often making a commentary on society and social issues with a style that ranges from abstract to figurative and even to the whimsical.
1: Now, I think I express myself and who I am in the material and the ideas that I work through. And this is reflect my own background what I now describe as my time and place so like what's on tap exactly this is me my time and place so I can't avoid that I, I can't run away from that that then I was born just after the war lucky enough not to have experienced the war and born in the place of Singapore when it was just taking a turn and and all the rest of it when the British were around. So, you no, know, I can't handle Mandarin. Uh, my dialect is pathetic. So <laughs> English has all been it. So, you know, as you know, Malay has been, you know, the common language that united a lot of the immigrant communities that came around here. And growing up here, no better inspiration than my own childhood experiences and, and my all the experiences even up to, to today. And yeah. my works reflect, you know, the places I've been to, and the the, the things that have happened to me, and what I've, I'm observing.
0: In the 70s now, Pius shows no signs of slowing down, and is still active at a StudioCom workshop in Emily Hill. It's been said that people are happiest at two points in their lives: when they're 16 years old, with life's possibilities in front of them and happiest again at 70. Perhaps at that age, one has learned life's lessons and can be at peace with their life's journey. To me, anyway,
1: I've always maintained that, uh, as far as art is concerned, a painting, no matter how wonderfully and realistically it may have been painted, is still an illusion. It is still not real. Whereas a sculpture in the round, in three-dimensional form and shape, is real that you have to contend with it to live with a sculpture you must give it space you will bump mm-hmm. into it etc whereas with a painting you just stick it up the wall and it is of the way I did a little of Latin in school I like the origin of the word real it comes from the Latin word res, res which means a thing so the realisation of anything is to make a thing out of it so this is where I enjoy the fact that I'm making things you know with a sculpture it is something it is totally uh, form and shape with volumes so this is the the reality of it the realisation of an idea into a solid form it could be like also uh, something uh, like penetrated or as you know in in Henry Moore's reckoning uh, a space is still a form although it's a negative form in a sense it still is spatial. I did philosophy in university. Not that I knew very much about it. To me, guys go to university in order to find girls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I came away with it. I had a pass. So I did political science and philosophy. But I've come around to thinking that yeah, life is to do with thinking about hmm. life. You know, it is the the inquiry into what it's all about, like you know, philosophical issues of you know. How to talk about the concepts of the world there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's what it is. I guess I should by now know pretty much what it is that uh, I want to do. That's for sure. So I continue to get into you know my sculptures. So I have works, ongoing works, all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you visit my studio, Emily, you will see a lot of ongoing works there. I approach it, in fact, you know, with this very childlike sense of uh, fascination. Hmm. What else can I do? No. Can I make it look like something? Else? Can I try it this other way? And if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. You know, I'll just do something else. So this whole attitude of inquiring into whatever it is, any phenomena, being curious, uh, having this fascination through play of material, etc., handling that, that you express yourself. Mm. And some works are, you no know, interesting. Some works are like, i well, just set it aside and, and carve something else. Through it all, I think I would try to avoid this whole idea of trying to show that, that you have what it, it is, you know, like, oh, you're an artist, you know, like, it's cool to go around, you no. Know. Looking and feeling like an artist. So, this false sense of sophistication, you know, like, oh, I'm very famous, you know, and all the rest. I think that's what it is the the true word of the idea of sophistry, you know, the false sense of your own worth. The, The humble truth that a lot of things are not so easy, not so secure, and all the rest. So, I subscribe to the Hobbesian, Thomas Hobbes idea that life is quite nasty, brutish, and short. And I have lived long enough, I guess. In all probability, I have another 15 years. I don't want to be old and doddering and and good for nothing. (laughs) So I'll do what I want to do now. Hmm. And that's how I see life.
0: If there's one thing you can take away from listening to this episode so far, I hope it's an awareness of just how chilled out this artist is. His mischievous sense of humor during our conversation kept making me laugh. Having listened to him for twenty minutes, I guess you're not going to be hugely surprised to know that he has a tattoo on his right forearm. I asked him if it was the only one he had.
1: Yes, not that I, I want to show the mud bum. you know. <laughs> no, I don't have any. So this finally, when we were in school, no tattoos were no-no. Uh, you right. know, it's, you know it would be a sign that you are a gangster, and then. Singapore in the 50s. We had gangsters, you know, and there's all these wannabe tough boys, you know, trying to extort from you, whatever it is. So we never had tattoos. On the other hand, I used to have wire twisted and we would heat up the wire and brand ourselves. So I still have a branding here, which actually is an inverted P. So that Bias? was what, yeah. Obviously, yep. whatever it is, but I did it twice. <laughs> <laughs> so it's this sort of hair brain kid stuff that we just wanted to, you know, feel like you know we oh, are tough guys. Yeah. So finally, I, I managed to get this done here in Singapore. but and, oh. and the guy, apparently famous, he's Johnny Two Thumbs. Yeah. But he charged me a lot for this. Now I realize, <laughs> and. and it is my initials CFC Chang oh. Fa Chion, And this is a seal like Yeah, it looks like the Yeah, the Chinese seal Which I like Most of my sculptures have this mm-hmm. seal And I also go around and It is, means chlorofluorocarbon Very toxic <laughs> But my wife you know, has mentioned it And I think it's very cute She says You know, we see this tattoo on his arm He is his own artwork in progress and I think I like that idea (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much You're welcome Thank you very much
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of No or Not If you liked it, please subscribe via Apple Podcasts Stitcher, Spotify or however else you're listening Do visit First Generation on the banks of the Singapore River It's next to Kavanaugh Bridge and has the Fullerton Hotel behind it You can learn more about this pioneer sculptor at his website, fachiong.com, that's F-A-H-C-H-E-O-N-G.com.